you're listening to the CC Solicitors Podcast with Colleen Cleary, Claire Dawson and Regan O'Driscoll. Hello and welcome to the CC Solicitors Podcast. I'm Claire Dawson and I'm here with Colleen Cleary and Regan O'Driscoll and we are all partners at CC Solicitors. Today we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and vaccination in the workplace Vaccination is the word on everyone's lips at the moment. It's getting a lot of coverage in the media and there's a lot of discussion about how it's going to impact the workplace. We're going to look at some of those issues from an employment law perspective. And I'm going to ask Colleen and Regan to come in very shortly to discuss some of the big issues. But just by way of background, it's probably worth looking at the legal framework that applies to mandatory vaccination because There were some discussions early on about whether the government could make it mandatory for people to take the vaccine. Um, And obviously that would be a a controversial uh, measure. But the background really is that for 70 years, all immunisation programmes in Ireland have been carried out on a voluntary basis. And the government has made it clear it's taking the same approach in relation to COVID-19. Practically speaking, at the moment, in any event, it seems unlikely where where we have vaccine supplies quite limited and getting the vaccine to everyone who does want it in an equitable and fair way is going to be a major challenge in the next six to nine months. It seems unlikely that the government would be trying to roll it out in a way that would compel people to take it. But if there was a political will to do that, would the law allow it? And I suppose we have to bear in mind that a year ago, we could hardly have believed that there'd be legislation passed which allowed Angarda Siakona to stop us and fine us for travelling more than five kilometres from our homes. So the answer is that there is existing infectious disease legislation, the Health Act 1947, which gives the Minister for Health the power to introduce compulsory vaccination by way of a regulation. And that would mean that there would be no new legislation required or debated or passed in the Oireachtas. Now, I suppose the second question is whether if such compulsory vaccination was introduced, could it be considered unconstitutional? Now, the Irish constitution protects individual rights, including the right to bodily integrity, privacy, autonomy, health, dignity and life. And they'd all be taken into account in looking at this question. Protection of autonomy has has been held to mean that a competent adult can refuse medical treatment no matter what the consequences for that adult may be. However, contagious diseases are different because they threaten public health, not just an individual's health, but their capacity to transmit something to others. And so intervention in that kind of situation to spread the halt of a contagious disease might override certain individual rights. And there is a decision where the Supreme Court has indicated that One of the rare exceptions to this principle of autonomy and informed consent to any treatment could include situations where there is a contagious disease. Worth bearing in mind that no constitutional right is absolute and there are limitations on all personal rights. So there might be circumstances where the right to life is considered to outweigh the right to autonomy for certain for individuals. But you could anticipate that there would be serious objections to any programme of mandatory vaccination from different quarters, from a civil liberties perspective to the anti-vaxxer perspective and others. And I think it's fair to say that if any attempt to bring in any kind of regulation was made, there'd be significant litigation before a conclusion was reached on anything. 
So governments made it clear that they're not going to legislate for mandatory vaccination and that the rollout is going to be based on the principle of informed consent. And for that to be the case, it has to be understood and it has to be voluntary. This is also in line with international guidance. So the World Health Organization is opposed to mandating vaccination. Its view is that persuading people of the merits of the vaccine is going to be more effective. And they've said that individual countries are free to decide how how they conduct their vaccination programs, but they've pointed to examples of previous mandatory vaccination programs which have backfired by actually increasing opposition to them by the general public. So that's just by way of background, I suppose, in terms of the, the legal framework around vaccination in Ireland. But big question then really is, what about employers? Even if the government can't mandate that the public get vaccinated, can staff be required to be vaccinated in this kind of no jab, no job approach? Um, so Regan, I'm going to turn to you and ask for your thoughts on that. Thanks, Claire. I, I think without the government having taken a stand on it, um, employers would be taking a huge risk in terms of current laws by compelling workers uh, to be vaccinated. And really the nub of the issue is the fact that we don't know whether the vaccine or any of the vaccines will prevent transmission from person to person, not for definite. Under the 2005 Act, the Safety, Health and Welfare Work Act, we've discussed previously employers are are required to carry out a risk assessment to identify potential health and safety risks in the workplace and then to take steps to eliminate or, if necessary, to mitigate those risks. Employees also conversely have a duty under the Act to cooperate with their employer to reduce workplace risks. So any employer is going to be considering the vaccine when undertaking any risk assessment in relation to COVID-19 and and people becoming infected from it. Um, The question is obviously going to be most pressing in in the context of healthcare workers. I mean, it's going to be pressing everywhere, but really healthcare workers in particular, given the particular risks that they face and, and the particular risk of their, in fact, transmitting it. Um, COVID-19 is a a notifiable disease under the Infectious Diseases Regulations 1981 and a decision not to be vaccinated, I suppose the question is, could it put patients at risk? If the healthcare provider, the hospital, whatever, could show that having all their staff vaccinated is the most reasonably practicable way of mitigating the risk, having conducted their risk assessment, they might choose to make the vaccination a mandatory requirement of employment, saying it is, you know, an occupational requirement. But at present, as I said, we just don't have enough evidence that it prevents transmission while it does suppress symptoms in the vast majority of cases. The only you know, suggestion of that is in relation to the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. And even there, um, the, the data doesn't seem absolutely clear on it. And then even there, that vaccine is one of three vaccines. So you know, it, how, do, how, how can you be sure that everybody's going to be getting that vaccine? And in fact, it shortly probably will be one of four vaccines once uh, Johnson & Johnson gets approved. So in the absence of clear data and in the circumstances where even if we do get clear data, it's, you know, best case scenario, 25% of the vaccine stream is something that prevents transmission. An employer could find it very difficult to justify imposition of mandatory vaccination, even in that context. And if they can't do it in that context, then how are they going to do it elsewhere? The, the HSE obviously employs a majority of healthcare workers in this country, and that has said it's not making uh, vaccination mandatory for its staff, and it doesn't see the need or the justification for it. The uh, Nursing Homes Ireland has suggested that is a possibility, but I really think if you think through it, what would it actually achieve? And they'll all, I would assume they'll ultimately come around to that view if there is no prevention of transmission. 
I mean, what you find yourself kind of going down a rabbit hole in these things and ultimately thinking like, what could it possibly achieve? And the only thing I could think of, and perhaps I'm being, not being very imaginative, is that in a healthcare setting, the one risk that could arise is that you have a shortage of healthcare workers. So if they're all getting sick, then you're, you know, a huge amount of them are getting sick, you're just going to have a shortage of staff. And then that in turn will risk the lives of patients. So could you make it mandatory for that reason? I, do, again, don't think so, because in reality, there's going to be a huge take up on the vaccine anyway. So the vast majority of staff, all indications are pointing, will be taking the vaccine. That being the case, I don't think you'd be able, you'd be justified in making it mandatory for the rest. That's a very good point, Regan. And I think, you know, the, the reality is that with healthcare staff, they're the ones who are on the sharp end of this pandemic and they absolutely they really see the need for it and they understand how a vaccine works and they're, you know, they're they're pretty well informed. And so the vast majority of them are going to take it up in any event. Sure. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, um, I mean, the fact that there, ha- there has been some talk of um, some nursing home staff declining to do it. Um, but the reasons given that I read certainly are, are, are interesting. Was on, I'll, I'll come along to that later. But uh, when you move on from from healthcare workers, I suppose the other the big sector that's been quite uh, high profile at the moment is is teachers uh, and other issues whether they should be higher up the list for vaccination. I think they have been moved up now in the United States, for example. And should they be also required to receive the vaccine in light of the impact of the closure of schools on society at large and on students as well as their, their poor parents stuck at home trying to homeschool them? So if all teachers are vaccinated, these concerns would be allayed. But again, it shouldn't really be necessary if there's a high take up anyway. And where are you able to say, well, there's no justification for closing schools now that we have the vaccine? Mm. You know, it, it shouldn't really be necessary there anyway. And then I suppose the big thing we all have to remember, and, and, and you touched on it earlier, there are constitutional rights here to bodily integrity. McGee versus uh, the Attorney General having established that, but arguably was already there in the Constitution anyway. Um, autonomy, privacy, these all need to be weighed up by any employer considering rolling out of a mandatory vaccination policy. It just puts a, an employer at huge risk if they try and make it mandatory. They really have to think this through very carefully, what the basis for it is. If the HSE can't justify it, then how can you, is the way I would put it to any client. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right, Regan. And the, and create quite a lot of unrest in, in the workforce, potentially industrial relations issues absolutely. and employee yeah. relations issues as well. Look, so clearly an employer can't actually physically force anyone to get vaccinated in in circumstances where there's no mandatory vaccination in the country as a whole. But the question, I suppose, then is if one does want to encourage and potentially mandate vaccination, are there going to be consequences for staff who choose not to get it? Would failure to take the vaccine be seen as failure to follow a reasonable management instruction? And could an employer introduce a new contractual requirement to have this vaccine or indeed, you know, any one of the vaccines or indeed future vaccines if it looks like there's going to be more variants to this virus and it's something we're going to have to be dealing with for years to come in one form or another? Colleen, I think you were going to to sort of Mm. explain how that might be viewed in terms of the reasonableness. Yeah, and I think following on from what Regan's already said and you've already said, Bottom line is, if the HSE and WHO are saying that you can't roll out a mandatory vaccination policy from, at a state level, I don't see how it would constitute a regional management instruction from the employer to direct that their staff undertake a mandatory vaccine, in addition to the constitutional issues that surround that. And, and in circumstances where they do ask that and say that they do, and they decide they are going to ask, what are the consequences of that? And if they were to take disciplinary action or to terminate somebody I think that most likely it probably would be deemed to be unfair. And I think that you probably end up in the WRC in relation to that. But, you know, let's face it, really, though, that, that there are other ways of preventing COVID-19 in the workplace. And 
most people at this point in time haven't got the vaccine and god knows when we're all going to be vaccinated we're talking like october but late autumn there are other ways to combat the virus even and you know as we've always said it also people that have been vaccinated aren't necessarily able to, to transmit the virus that's been said again and again you know the, the vaccination itself is not a silver bullet there's going to be other times where you have to have another vaccination if you have the Pfizer vaccination there could be different variants so what you're going to demand that they get every vaccine each time each and every time there's all kinds of things around the prevention and living with COVID which would be effective in the workplace including PPE social distancing you know maybe the use of antigen tests COVID testing the um, investment by the government in better uh, track and trace to what we have at the moment and you know uh, just having having a rotation in the office remote working all those things are going to help it can't just be a silver potential bullet of this vaccination that you get because in itself it's not the answer anyway to prevention of transmission there are so many other things that are moving around at the time the other questions you asked as well was whether you could introduce a new contractual requirement to have a vaccine i think for existing staff that would be obviously difficult for the reasons i've already articulated could you ask, could you have it in a pre-contract? I certainly know from our healthcare experience that people do have pre-contract requirements to have hepatitis B vaccinations. And we are going to probably see a situation where we probably will have a vaccine passports. So I think that going forward, I think you could put it in because you bring in someone new into the office and you might say, well, look, that's a requirement. Potentially in the same way it's maybe, I mean, maybe not for all jobs, but certainly for healthcare workers or working with vulnerable people or, or elderly people, it's a stipulation to have evidence that you have hep B. I can see a correlation with, with having a vaccination for preventing COVID too, for, you know, for, for transmission amongst staff. Because at the end of the day, health and safety is just not your obligation to provide, the employer's obligation to provide safe place work. The employee is also obliged under the same legislation to ensure the safety of others too. So it's a two-way obligation, I think. Mm. And as you say, people who work in healthcare will be quite used to some of those requirements, let's say around hepatitis B and so on. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't be unusual for them. There's also been a lot of discussion about the gendered impact of COVID-19, and we've touched on that before in other podcasts. And I suppose the fact that while all of us have been affected by COVID-19 in one way or another. Not all groups have been affected equally. I know there were concerns that certain groups in the workforce may have particular objections to receiving the vaccine. And again, this is something that's come up quite a lot and that employers are asking about. How should an employer deal with that? How does an employer ensure that they're taking the right approach from an equality point of view, Regan? So is any steps taken in relation to a mandatory vaccination programme or indeed the impact of not being vaccinated would need to be considered, they need to consider the potential impact it would have on staff from different groups. Um, and I suppose in no particular order, um, the first one that came to mind was um, pregnant women are currently being advised to get the vaccine when offered it. But they're going to probably and, and, and have been actually quite vocal and having more concerns about getting it while pregnant than other workers do. And in fact, going back to what I was saying earlier about the staff in nursing homes or some staff in nursing homes having refused the vaccine, some of them gave the reason that it's because they're hoping to have children in the next couple of years, which took me aback, I have to say. I thought it was an interesting reason for an objection. I suppose the shadow of the thalidomide tragedy really looms very large, probably. So, you know, that those are people who have very valid concerns about what it would mean for them in pregnancy or in, in having a child. Um, so you'd have to think about the probability or maybe not probability, maybe that's going too far, the possibility 
a, a compulsion of all staff, including pregnant workers, could give rise to a complaint of indirect discrimination based on gender. Again, I suppose I think we've we've mentioned it before in previous podcasts. Indirect discrimination is where you have a you know a, on the face of a neutral policy, but where one sector of society will say it impacts more negatively on them. And then when you have that kind of discrimination, it's up to the employer to objectively justify it. Then the next possibility is that decisions made based um, on the age of staff in light of older people being more at risk from the virus or discriminatory on the face of it need to be capable of being objectively justified. A requirement for staff with underlying health conditions to have the vaccine before returning to the workplace could mean the employer could fall foul of protection against discrimination on the grounds of disability. And then one that has come up before in in litigation, not obviously in relation to COVID-19, but what if somebody has an objection to receiving the vaccine on religious grounds? Bearing in mind that religious grounds is interpreted fairly broadly in light of the European background to it. Um, And there is a very interesting and I think instructive case from 2014, McAteer versus Tipperary County Council, about the protection that actually is afforded under the law, probably more than people were aware previously, to everyone's individual right to manifest their religious belief. So it's not just that your right to believe, to have religious belief is protected. You can actually, what's protected is your right to manifest that belief. So if somebody can say that a manifestation of their belief or their way of manifesting the belief is to refuse the vaccine, then potentially they would have protection there depending on the circumstances of the case. And there is protection there again for both direct and indirect discrimination. So if a blanket policy of requiring staff to be vaccinated were shown to put staff of a particular religion at a disadvantage, it would need to be objectively justified. Now, you know, it's, again, every case turns its own facts. So it would, really there would have to be some background religious, I suppose, structure in place or belief structure in place that is protected. Then finally, I suppose that there's a small number of people who, who are having adverse reactions to vaccines, and particularly people who've had adverse reactions to things in the past. Um, and it's, it's not possible necessarily to predict these in advance, but certainly people who have had adverse reactions in the past are being advised to be very cautious about getting the COVID-19 vaccination. So I suppose in, in theory, could an employer be liable for an injury to an employee where the employer has compelled them to have the vaccine? I mean, it seems possible that a claim could ensue. I mean, whatever about your defence, you'd certainly have to deal with the claim, which is something always to bear in mind, even where you'd say, well, I'd be able to defend that claim. It doesn't mean you wouldn't have to put the time and the, and the, the financial resources into defending it. But if an employer wants to be able to justify a policy requiring mandatory vaccination, careful consideration have to be given to all of these kinds of issues. I mean, basically, blanket policies, and we've discussed it before, blanket policies are always highly problematic. You've got to have meaningful consultation with unions or, or staff representatives or, you know, staff directly where appropriate. And support from a trade union, actually, I mean, it's worth mentioning or a staff forum for any policy it's probably going to be helpful. So maybe embrace that in a way that, you know, some employers might not have before because it's likely to encourage buy-in from staff and make the rolling out of any vaccination programme easier. And it might assist in defending any legal claims that you've you've really done this as a, as a team as opposed to just, you know, a, a directive from above. And then a policy that targets staff with certain protected characteristics, such as age and disability, etc., um, is likely to be considered discriminatory. And so any policy which is introduced should apply to all staff, but again, be mindful of the indirect discrimination angle there and allow for individual concerns to be taken into account. And, you know, and act on those, consider them carefully and don't dismiss them out of hand. And then finally, I suppose, should a, should a member of staff refuse to be vaccinated in response to such a policy, 
you should carefully consider what the impact of the refusal should be. Is it really necessary, you know, to dismiss them or to discipline them in some way? Would it be possible to redeploy them to a different area of work, working from home or apply other measures to avoid the spread of the virus if that's what the concern is? And really think through this in terms of the proportionality of what your reaction to it is. So, you know, I mean, it's possible that it's going to result in, in some staff remaining working from home for a bit longer. But I think we have to take it each step as it comes. I'm not sure that it's going to be possible to kind of predict in advance you know, what the end result of all of this is going to be. Just think things through. Don't make a blanket decision at the very beginning and deal with each objection and each circumstances as, as it arises, because each workplace is going to be different. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Regan. And I think final decisions on any of these issues, I think at the moment, outside of, let's say, the healthcare space and when a lot of employees in other sectors are still working from home, I think would potentially be quite premature because uh, as long as people can work from home, then this issue of transmission in the workplace is obviously not as key. And I think exactly it's not urgent. It's so, you know, take it carefully and slowly and and thoughtfully. And yeah. And on the basis of data, I suppose that we've yet to see in terms Mm. of the impact of the different vaccines on transmission and so on. I mean, I think we're all agreed that any kind of policy which requires employees to be vaccinated and compels them to be vaccinated is is probably pretty risky, uh, even mm. though there, there are people yeah. who've been quoted in the newspapers as saying that that's what they're going to be calling for and it's unacceptable if people refuse and so on uh, and so forth. But if employers accept that they're not going to make vaccination mandatory, should they be encouraging staff nonetheless, to get vaccinated. Obviously, there's a huge push in terms of all the information that's being put out by the government to encourage people generally to get vaccinated. But should employers specifically be encouraging their staff to do that? Colleen, what do you think about Mm. that? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's no different, say, from the health, from the flu vaccine. A lot of employers would encourage, and certainly for my own business, I would encourage people to to take the flu vaccine because of its, its effectiveness. But it's always a personal choice for that individual person, individual employer, whether they want to take it or not. But this is such a massive public health issue. And it's really for the government to do their job to educate the public, educate everyone about the fact the require the safety of the vaccine and the you know the, the necessity to protect you know not just your work colleagues but your loved ones, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your children, you know, your friends from cross transmission. And that, you know, we're only safe if we're all safe which is the general kind of mantra, isn't it, really? And the saying, and you know, which would, would appear to be the right approach, I would think. So do employers get in there too, like they did with the flu vaccine? Um, I think that, like I said, it's always going to be, I think what employers should say, you know, in line with public health, in line with government health, that, you know, this is available and you could encourage your staff, but, you know, it's always caveated and subject to the individual consultant with their own doctor. So you could put out a carefully crafted memo along those lines, because as Regan said, there are going to be adverse reactions. Uh, And that's with any vaccine. And, you know, there's a risk with any vaccine. And, you know, there is, is there a duty of care for a personal injury action in circumstances where the employee gets an adverse reaction and says, oh, well, I did it because of you know, the memo I got. I mean, there, there is potentially a risk there. So it's just kind of framing it in the right kind of way. It's a public health issue based on public health advice, you know, based on your own doctor's consultation that, you know, this is what we're recommending. You know, again, duty of care exists in the workplace, not just for the employer, but individuals to each other. So you could feed it in in the right and correct kind of communication, I think, around that. Mm. And what if staff have questions about the vaccine clean? I mean, should should an employer start answering those questions or how should they approach it? 
Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be recommending that. I think that the individual has to consult with their doctor. They have to consult. I would not counsel that that would be the right thing to do because then you're creating a more reliance on the duty of care. You're creating a situation where the employer is providing information on the vaccine. And yeah. I don't think that that is the right. I mean, I don't think they do that for the flu vaccine. I certainly don't think they should be doing that for the COVID vaccine. No, I think you're absolutely right. And there's been this other question about whether employers should pay for staff vaccination. And of course, at the moment, that's kind of really moot. a bit yeah. of a moot point yeah, here because it's being so. rolled out in accordance with the vaccine allocation strategy and it's free for everybody. I mean, I suppose at some point in the future, if these vaccines or others were to become commercially available, employers might want to offer to pay for it as as they do with the seasonal yeah, flu vaccine. Exactly. And like it looks like, you know, as it mutates and becomes the South African to the the Kent to the Spanish, you know, I mean mm. there's going to be another mutation of some kind. Bally Bunyan. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely one on the horizon. Um, but uh, you know, it's gonna. There's going to be like a top up. There's going to be like you know, it's like the pandemic unemployment benefits. They're going to continue forever. I mean, it, what is the state going to provide this forever? I don't know. Um, so yeah. we just have to. There's going to be different mutations. There's going to be top ups. That's what it certainly sounds like for the future. It seems like we may be living with some form of variant of this this virus for some time to come, although we're all hopeful that we're we're going to come out of the current situation that we're in, you know, sooner rather than later. Regan, I suppose that the final thing that we said we would look at is the kind of data protection privacy issues around rolling Mm. out the vaccine and employees having the vaccine. And there are some issues there. And of course, this is the bit where you always feel like you have to get a wet towel out when you start talking about data protection and privacy. But, (laughs) but, um, But actually, in a way, they're kind of fairly sensible provisions really around this. Would you be able to just highlight what those are? Yeah, sure. So information on who's been vaccinated as well as who's not been vaccinated for that matter is special category data under the GDPR that's, I suppose, formerly and still known as sensitive personal data. So it's a higher category. It's got higher protection than your regular run-of-the-mill personal data. It's got enhanced protections in relation to both the processing and disclosure of it. So the Data Protection Commissioner is always very active. It's frequently in the press, as, as everybody knows, and it, needless to say, got into this uh, realm in terms of its guidance. And it's confirmed that as early as March 2020, that employers have a legal basis to process personal data, including health data about their employees, where it seemed necessary and proportionate to do so to protect the employee's health and safety. But there are principles that apply to it. So they have to ensure um, that it's secure. They have to ensure the confidentiality of the data being processed. There's to be transparency as to how the information is being processed, uh, including the purpose of the, the collection of the data, how long it will be retained for, which which has to be assessed and reasonable. There's a principle of data minimization. As with any data processing, only the minimum necessary amount of data should be processed to achieve the purposes of implementing the measures uh, to prevent or contain the spread of COVID-19. So again, you know, go, don't go beyond what you're, it's absolutely required for and don't be holding on to people's data for any longer than you need to. Um, and there needs to be accountability as well. So employers have to ensure that they document any decision-making process regarding measures implemented to manage COVID-19. And this can all seem quite, I suppose, burdensome when you go through it the way I just have. But really, if, if employers have processes in place in relation to data collection and processing, they just follow those um, and be, you know, be sensible and thoughtful about it. So, you know, this week there's been a lot of discussion about the HSE's portal for registration for who's received the vaccine. Um, There are some obvious, you can understandable concerns 
that it might be used to track staff who've chosen not to receive the vaccine for whatever nefarious purposes. But they, they, you know, the HC have said that's not what it's for. But there, there's obviously a concern that, and I suppose the question is asked, if healthcare workers are identified as not having received the vaccine, could patients or residents be entitled to refuse to receive care from them? You know, again, we come back to the transmission question. Am I entitled to ask my GP whether they've been vaccinated before I go into them if I'm concerned? But again, back, you know, transmission is the big question here. If data comes out saying that all of the vaccines prevent transmission in a big way, well, maybe that is going to be a fair question for somebody to ask. And as we said earlier, the uh, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland has said that they would be keeping records of staff who've chosen not to receive the vaccine. You know, it's, so they, they've been calling for it to be mandatory and have been saying on the side of that they'd be keeping records of, of staff who've chosen not to receive it. But I mean, the reason why you would actually be keeping those records is so that you make sure that you've offered it to everybody and that everybody's had the second vaccine at the right time. It's about the processes and purposes for why you'd actually need that information. And apparently that's going to be reviewed at the end of February when it's anticipated that all the staff and residents will have received the offer of vaccination. I mean, that, that, you know, the purpose is, has everybody gotten it? Has everybody, has anyone fallen through the cracks who should have been offered it? What they do with it then, of course, otherwise remains a question. Thanks, Regan. And I think, as you say, that's absolutely right. You know, what information is collected for, the purposes it's collected for originally, that's quite a clear data protection principle that you can't then necessarily use it for a different purpose. Yeah. That's really key. Well, I suppose, finally, just when it comes to to vaccination, what are the key points for employers to bear in mind? And I'll throw it open. I think, you know, it's wonderful to be able to talk about vaccination, but the reality is, is that vaccination is still very far way Mm. off. And it's worth thinking about all these concepts now, but it's very far off for a lot of employers Mm. and for a lot of individuals. And, you know, really what we need to think about is, you know, what can people do now to create a safe place of work? And I think that's quite an important point. And I was listening, I was Mm. mentioning when we were preparing for this meeting, we were talking, listening to Luke O'Neill on the um, Winter Nights podcast. And one of the really important points he talked about was about the government coming out and affirming the use of antigen tests which are basically kind of very easy, quick tests that can be done with a result in 30 minutes that tell you there and then whether you have COVID or not. Now, obviously, it's not the kind of the high-end PCR test, which is whether you're developing it, but they are things really. I mean, vaccination is still a way off, and and maybe that is something that employers you know can can think about and something that you know is going to enable our country to open up a little bit quicker and, and keep the teachers safe as in circumstances or construction workers safe in circumstances where they're going to be in the first tranche of people that are going to be opening up. So they're, they're kind of my thoughts thinking about it. I think vaccination is brilliant, you know, but I think, wow, you know, like if you think about where we are in the line of vaccinations mm. and the distribution to date, which we all hope will kind of pick up, you know, these are things that we have to think about now that protects us remote working, antigen tests, or the PPE, social distancing, all of that is going to have to continue for, I think, for the foreseeable future in, yeah, only, in 2021. It's only about 155,000 people who've gotten the first dose at this point in Ireland. I mean, that's that's not that's not a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's more a case of not so much, are you going to be compelled to get it, but when, when are you going to get it? <laughs> Um, yeah, for, exactly. for a lot of us. And I think, it's like, yes, yeah, please. exactly. And I think, you know, absolutely right that when it comes to employees who are on the front line, people who have to be in the workplace, antigen testing and then all the other protective measures may be the way to go in the meantime before the vaccination has been rolled out more widely in the population. Regan, I don't know if you had any final thoughts. When they, the vaccines were first announced and I 
saw footage of the first people getting the vaccine. I, I was very emotional about it all, mm. um, that this was the end of it. We were all, you know, that was mm. it. But I suppose in more recent times, the practical implications of what a virus is and how it, it uh, changes have really uh, dawned, I think, on everybody that this, as Colleen said there, it's not the great fixer upper, you know, it, it's going to help definitely. But this is, it seems as though COVID-19 is going to be with us for a long time to come. And I think we just have to find practical solutions to it and, and keep being safe um, for as long as possible and save as many lives as possible. And, you know, hold the nerve, as I often, unfortunately, have to say to clients when we're in the middle of a case, it's kind of the same kind of thing, hold the nerve and we'll get through it. But I mean, it's a very positive development. I think about the fact that vaccines ordinarily take years. I mean, we are actually in a very uh, fortunate position that we already have as many as we have. And as you say, I think it's also about employers being kind of, I don't know, just responding and reacting to how things develop and taking nuanced approaches to all these things because yeah. there isn't a silver bullet, there isn't a blanket policy, there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all that's going to get us through to the end of this and get people back to work in a safe way. But look, thank you both very much for having this discussion and thanks to everybody for listening and uh, stay safe. Thanks, thanks Claire. Claire. You've been listening to the CC Solicitors podcast. For more information or to get in touch, visit ccsolicitors.ie.